Take out your Bibles, turn to Psalm 131. A couple praises before we get into God's Word. Today is our church anniversary. It was Palm Sunday 2014 that we had our very first Sunday morning service in this room. So we give thanks to God for that. Also, we have some friends back with us that we want to celebrate. First of all, our newlyweds, Charlie Warner and Sydney Warner are with us today. Stand up, newlyweds. They were married in June. Now, you guys, Charlie came late today, but he has a good reason. He killed a turkey this morning, and he had to clean it. 7 a.m., that dude slammed a turkey. And then we also have Jake Brom and Caroline Osman. They got engaged last night. Congratulations. Stand up. Congratulations. Hey. So, Caroline, just hold up that ring, because it'll probably shine all the way throughout the worship center. All right. Y'all ready? Notes in the back of the announcements. If you're watching online, they're available on our mobile app. Let's pray. God, we pray in the name of Jesus for your anointing now upon this message. I really believe in my heart that this uh, time in your word today could be very transformational for some. Especially, God, those that are just carrying the weight of things that you want to release today. And I pray that you would have us enter into the experience of this great psalm. Thank you for those who've gone before us, who wrote the scriptures, but even in recent times who've experienced it, like Jeff, to be testimonies of encouragement. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Use this time to transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. In certain competitions such as martial arts, when someone knows they cannot win or when they are in danger of losing consciousness, they tap out or surrender. It's a very wise move in those situations lest you die. And in life, we need to tap out to God. We've been trying to figure things out. We've been trying to do it our way and have all the answers before we'll surrender when we need to tap out. Surrender to God, even if it means we may never fully understand why something happened. The message that I felt to give you today is Psalm 131. We were going to begin 1 Peter today, but I felt very strongly that we were to look at this psalm. It's been on my heart for months, and we'll begin 1 Peter next Sunday on Easter Sunday. So, great Sunday to begin a new book study. It was Charles Spurgeon who said of this psalm, though it is one of the shortest to read, it takes a lifetime to experience. If the Psalms were a gem, Spurgeon said, this is the pearl. Let's look at that pearl. And I believe very strongly today that this is going to be timely for some of you. It's going to be freeing. It's time to tap out. When you've been wrestling, you've been struggling, you've been fighting with yourself, with the world, or even with God, and it's time to tap out. Many people are significantly held back in their relationship with God because they are plagued by the why questions. Why do I have this illness? Why am I not healed? Why did my spouse or mother or loved one or friend die in that tragic accident? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why was that young man killed at racetrack recently? Why the killings in Atlanta? Why the killings in Colorado? How come I got cancer? 
Why all this COVID stuff? Why does my prayer seemingly go unanswered? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What is it today that might be that lingering question for you? And I have found in pastoral ministry that this can often be a fork in the road for people. For these things that happen can either drive you to a deeper, more abiding, more trusting relationship with God, or it can actually drive you further from the Lord, where you put God on the shelf and you blame God for something. It was Ted Turner who abandoned his faith because his sister was not healed of cancer. What about you? The book of Psalms is filled with this wrestling. Psalm 4 verse 2, how long will your, you, your people turn, be turned from, from glory into shame? Psalm 6, my soul is in deep anguish, O Lord, how long? Psalm 13, how long will you hide your face from me? Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Psalm 44, I cry to you by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Psalm 13. So this is normal. It is one of the things we will all face. We will all come to this fork in the road. The question is not, will you go through this? The question is, how will you go through this? Will it drive you to God or will it drive you away from the Lord? So let's stand as I read Psalm 131. Very short psalm. I'm reading out of the ESV. And then I'm going to put the Passion Translation on the screen for you to see that one. Psalm 131, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Passion Translation, if you look at the screen. Lord, my heart is meek before you. I don't consider myself better than others. I'm content to not pursue matters that are over my head, such as your complex mysteries and wonders that I am not yet ready to understand. I am humbled and quieted in your presence like a contented child who rests on its mother's lap. I'm your resting child. My soul is content in you. O oh, people of God, your time has come to quietly trust, waiting upon the Lord now and forevermore. You can be seated. We're going to just simply go through this phrase by phrase. The translation that will be on the screen as I go through this is the NIV. So we're hitting a number of different translations. Verse 1a, my heart is not proud, O oh Lord, my eyes are not haughty. The first thing we see here, and I believe we see a progression in this passage, and I'll bring that to conclusion at the end, but the, the, the first step that we see, which is the first step in our relationship with God, is humility. He's acknowledging a, a state of humility. It's the pathway to unleashing the presence of God in your life. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, He gives grace to the humble. Psalm 57 verse 15 says, I dwell in high and holy places and with the contrite and humble. 1 Peter 5 says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. Humility is the way you come into salvation. For without humility, you cannot be justified saved. 
For you must humble yourself, admit you are a sinner. Blessed are the poor in spirit is the first of the Beatitudes. Humility says, I can't do it all. Humility says, I'm not God. Humility says, I can't figure it all out. Humility says, I don't know everything, but you do. I submit to you. I humble myself before you. You cannot get saved without humility. This is why many in, the, in, in high levels of academia or those who are very successful often don't get saved. It often takes something to humble them, to bring them to the end of themselves before they receive Christ and acknowledge that they need something more than themselves. In the same way that humility is the means by which, or one of the means by which you get justified saved, it is also a huge component of sanctification, ongoing growth in Christ. God opposes the proud. Listen, we have enough opposed to us in the world, the flesh, and the devil. I don't want God opposed to me. How about you? And it says God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves, it unleashes the glory and the presence and the grace of God. I tell the fresh wind guys all the time, you're my heroes, because it takes a real man to admit you have a problem and get help. And that just unleashes God's grace. Verse 1b, this is really the secret of this passage. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Too wonderful. Great matters. These are things that are beyond our ultimate ability to understand. For we know in part, we see in part, then we will know fully as we are fully known. It's beyond one's ability to comprehend or change. It's the mysteries of life, it's suffering, it's hardship, it's coming to the place where you're okay with not knowing. Coming to the place where you're okay not having the answers. They may be revealed to you, they may not. Being okay with not knowing. We cannot figure it out, so don't go there. We cannot know all because we're not God. Humility says I'm not going to try to be God because there's already a God and He doesn't need a replacement. He is sovereign and He knows what He's doing even though I may not know why those bad things happen. Turn to Job chapter 42. A few books to the left of Psalms. Job 42, this is after he had wrestled for chapter after chapter with all those terrible things that happened to Job. His friends gave advice that was not of God. Then God sits him down and gives him a lecture that he's on his throne and Job is not. That Where were you, Job, when I created the universe? Where were you when I commanded the, 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 the snow to come from the heavens? And so forth and so on. And in Job chapter 42... Verse 3, he responds to God, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Exact same word used in Psalm 131. That phrase, too wonderful for me, is the exact same too wonderful used in Psalm 131. And it means it's just too, it's beyond our ability to fully grasp. One of the biggest lessons that I've learned in this area is that with some things I need to be humbly willing to file them, watch this, file them in the Deuteronomy 29.29 file. 
The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to man. This is the Deuteronomy 29.29 file. Now, He may reveal them to me. I'm going to seek Him. He may show me. He may give me the answer, but He may not. And I have to be willing to say, God, there's some secret things that belong to You, and I'm done wrestling with it. I'm just going to file it away. You want to open that drawer and reveal some things in the future, that's fine. But I'm not living for the answer. I'm living for Jesus. Maybe today there's some things that you need to file in the 2929 file. Another key passage is Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Did you see what that says? Ultimate of the situation is not the secret or the wisdom. It's the knowledge of the Holy One. In other words, it's knowing God and knowing who He is and standing firm on His nature, not on having to have the answer to all your questions. Now, are there a lot of answers? Yes. Next week, as we talk about the resurrection... I love apologetics. We're going to give everybody a book by Lee Strobel when you come to the service. Evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Intellectual, tangible, archaeological, historical evidence that Jesus did physically rise from the dead. It is there. We can lay it out. If you are truly intellectually honest, you will see that the facts do show that He rose from the dead. But ultimately, you may have all kinds of other questions that don't get answered. Knowledge of the Holy One is where there's real understanding. It's a heart issue more than a mind issue. It's understanding God. It's knowing God. Knowing God is more important than having the answers to all of our questions. Christy Freeland spoke last week in the service of the incredible abuse that she suffered. The sexual abuse, and then she also has cystic fibrosis, which is literally in her DNA. And she told me this week, and I quote, I had to come to the point where I gave up the need to know why it all happened. There would not be an answer that would ever make enough sense to my human mind. But I do know now that God can take any negative situation and work good through it. And for me, that's how much more I've come to experience God in my life and I'm able to help other hurting people through my hardship. End quote. Now I want you to turn also to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Ready to go to Psalm 73, Habakkuk 3, and Philippians 4. Psalm 73 is a is a psalm where Asaph is, is struggling, really coming to peace with what's going on in the world around him. The first part of the psalm, he sees the ungodly, and he struggles because he goes, man, they seem to be doing great, and they don't give a flying rip about God. Then he says, in vain have I kept my heart pure, so I'm seeking God, I'm trying to live a godly life, and it feels like all I have is hardship, and he can't make any sense of it. And So then in Psalm 73, the turning point is in verse 16, but when I thought how to understand this there's that word again it seemed to me a wearisome task maybe some of you today are weary because you've been trying to understand everything to your intellectual satisfaction 
And then he says in verse 17, here's the turning point, until I went into the sanctuary of God. I love this. Then I discerned some things. I discerned, first of all, their end, that the ungodly are going to have it their day. Their day's coming one day. That all this prosperity they seem to have, even though they don't give a flying rip about God, guess what? It's going to burn one day. It's not eternal. So he gets an eternal perspective. Then in verse 18, Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they're destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself. <laughs> when it, he, he never sleeps, but it appears sometimes that he's asleep because it doesn't look like he's doing anything to our satisfaction. But when you arouse yourself, oh, you'll despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was bruised and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Here we go, here's the key. Verse 23, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you'll receive me to glory. Whom have I, so as good as that is, as good as having clarity about eternity, that their prosperity isn't going to last, and even though I'm suffering as a follower of God, my due's coming as well. I'm going to be with God forever. So eternal perspective is awesome. It helps a lot. But ultimately, verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Is Christ your all in all? Or is it Jesus plus you fill in the blank? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That word portion was the same Hebrew word used for the dividing of the land of Israel. Benjamin, this is your portion. Judah, this is your portion. Now Judah, don't look at Benjamin and wish you had his portion. You just be content with the portion I give you. God is our portion. He's enough. If he does more than just himself, icing on the cake. Larry Crabb says, True deep contentment comes from finding Jesus as your chief need meter, as your all in all, just with himself and whatever else he chooses to give you. But you don't live for the what he chooses to give you on top of himself, for he is enough. It was Horatio Spafford who wrote the great hymn, It Is Well. He was a very successful businessman in Chicago. He was going to go on a family vacation with his family. He sent them on a ship because of the great Chicago fire. He had to stay and take care of some business while his family was at sea. And he had already lost a son earlier in his life. While at sea, his four daughters were all tragically killed. His wife survived. Then he was going to go over to meet his wife. And at the spot where that tragedy occurred the boat captain said this is where your daughters were killed and he penned the great hymn it is well with my soul when sorrows like sea billows roll it is still well with my soul Habakkuk chapter 3 also talks about this similar concept so it turned to that it's one of the small minor prophets Toward the end of the Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree shall not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields produce no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. In other words, COVID cost me my family, cost me my job, cost me my bank account. I'm left with nothing. Because this was written during a time of a very agricultural economy. 
Verse 18, yet, 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 I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. So despite all of the circumstances being negative, I'm going to still get my joy from God. Wow. Corey Ten Boone said the highest place, the deepest place, the most advanced place anyone can come in their relationship with God, and she wrote this from a concentration camp, is that place where God is enough and you're satisfied in Him alone. Is God enough for you? Are there things that you've held on to and gripped on to that are hindering your walk that need to be filed in the 2929 file? And then in Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to give you a correct interpretation of Philippians 4. For many people love to use this verse as, you know, I can win the Super Bowl because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can be the CEO of the company because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's all about our success. That's not the context at all. Philippians 4.11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need so it's it's in the context of being content no matter the circumstance regardless of whether the person gets the the raise or the ceo of the company or wins the game that's this is the context it'd be the guy in the locker room after he loses <laughs> quoting philippians four thirteen would be actually more appropriate because it's in this context of the highs and the lows yet i'm content because verse 13 i can do all things through him who strengthens me Verse 2 of Psalm 131. But I have stilled and quieted my soul. It's a choice to still your soul. To stop wrestling, to stop asking, tapping out, quieting my soul. It's a choice to let it go and file it and be okay that He is God and I am not. This, for some, this is the crisis of faith. Again, it's the fork in the road. And Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I'm God. And that phrase, be still, in some translations say, cease striving and know that I'm God. There's been this striving, there's been this wrestling, there's been this questioning, there's been this blaming God, there's been this how can you be good and yet this happened. You have to get to the place where you cease striving and you know that He is God. Listen, don't doubt in the dark what God has already revealed in the light. Don't doubt in the darkness of despair what we know from the lightness of the revelation of who He is. Because it's in the darkness that the enemy comes in and whispers lies and causes you to question and you wrestle and you're getting attacked from the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's when you have to get into the sanctuary of God. Psalm 73. And it may be a season of wrestling. One of the most difficult things I had been through, even as an early 20-year-old, I had to get out on a frozen lake in Minneapolis and wrestle with God for three hours. I screamed at God. I yelled at God. I was angry with God about something that had happened. But at the end of those three hours on a frozen lake, Harriet, I got on my knees and I said, God, I still don't understand this. I still feel like you were responsible for this. But I choose to surrender. I tap out. And that's when the joy began to come back. 
That's when he began to reveal himself stronger. That's when my faith got more strengthened. Don't doubt in the darkness of despair what God has revealed in the light of clarity in your life and in his word. Now we come to a very interesting part of this psalm, verse 2b. Like a weaned child. (laughs) What is this about? With its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Meditated on that a lot this week. I think there's three things that this, at least three things that this is talking about. Number one, the weaned child means that it's come to another stage in its maturity. The child has grown to a place. And by the way, when this was written, they didn't wean children until sometimes between two to four years of age. So the first thing we see is that this child has grown out of, a, of that, inner, that first stage of infancy. And in the same way, we must be advancing and maturing in our walk with God. The Bible talks about don't just stay on milk. Get to the meat, Hebrews says. In 1 John 2, 12-14, it talks about a child, a young man, and a father. Those are stages of spiritual growth and development. We are to be advancing. We are to be being sanctified. We are to be growing, getting out of infancy as in our walk with God. So that's the first thing I think this is pointing to. I was talking about this passage with Pastor Jonathan this week, and he said, David, this is the next level. This is that promotion in the kingdom. What I'm talking about today will promote you in the kingdom. It will advance you in the kingdom. It will take you to that next level. Second thing I think this is talking about is before the child was weaned, there was often a period of struggle. Right, Dee? Before our children were willing to be weaned, they, they fought it a little, didn't they? It's like they've been used to mommy's milk and getting that whenever they wanted. And, and, and so there's this struggle. There might be some crying. Because they're not getting exactly what they want. And so I think this is where I want to give a lot of grace today to say, there, there may need to be a period of wrestling in some issues of your life. I'm not just saying that today you're going to resolve it all. I believe today can be a very big, important day. And some of you are going to be able to bring some things to these filing cabinets today. But others of you might have to take this home and you may have to get along with God this afternoon or this week or Set some time aside, getting biblical counseling, wrestling through this. Jacob wrestled with God, and he came away with a limp. (laughs) You may be limping the rest of your life, but better to limp and having wrestled through it than to be holding on to it and keeping God at bay. Jesus wrestled with the Father. God, if there be any other way to pay for the sin of humanity, let it be. Let this cup, that's the cup of wrath he's talking about. He was staring the wrath of God in the face for our sins. Let this cup pass from me. If there be any, yet not my will, but thine be done. He tapped out for you and me. But he had that wrestling. He was sweating drops of blood. So you may need to wrestle. Job Went, Job was wrestling before he got to 42. Had to have a sit-down lecture from God. And thirdly, I think the significance... So first of all, I think this shows growth, advancing in your walk with God. Second, 
there may need to be this period of struggle and wrestle. But third, and this may be the real clincher, listen, the, the baby when weaned is not coming to the mother for milk, it's just coming to be with the mother. This is when it's been settled. This is when that peace that passes all understanding guards and keeps your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so when the child is weaned, it, it, it has, it's not coming to the mother to get something. It's coming to just be with the mother. Get strength and comfort from the mother. This is the Psalm 1611. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Even though you may not have all the answers. Your soul is found resting God alone. Passion translation in verse 2 says, I am humbled and quieted in your presence. Like a contented child who rests on its mother's lap. I'm your resting child. My soul is content in you. Isn't that good? And finally, verse 3, O people, O Israel, people of God, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. Put your hope in the Lord. This is talking about faith. Hope is to wait expectantly on God. It's trusting God. It's faith that Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So it's clinging to God when there's still the not seen. <laughs> the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Romans 10 and 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So here we have advanced to the place of abiding, trusting faith in God, even if nothing happens. So what we've seen in this passage is a progression. I, I, my picture I get is like a stair step where we see we begin with humility, then there's the letting go, the being willing to not confuse my mind with things too complicated or wonderful for me. I'm going to then rest like the weaned child, and that ultimately is what faith is all about. We'll have a few minutes for questions. And then I'll land this plane. You can text those in or raise your hand and we'll bring a mic to you. Questions or a brief statement of maybe how you've experienced this. I've got one right here. Okay. I think from Psalm, uh, Psalm Proverbs, I'm going to get it right yet. Philippians 4.12. The key for word there is learned. If the Apostle Paul had to learn, good. I want to just turn the switch. Yeah. I want to go from point A to point Z and I forget <laughs> about the rest of the alphabet. And I've had, okay, if Apostle Paul had to learn it, I guess I can't skip the rest of the alphabet either. Amen. And I think that what that young man said, sometimes we go through the mess so we can learn what God wanted to teach us back at the beginning. Good. The mess leads to the message. The test leads to the testimony. 
And Paul learned this. Process of time fits right in with the weaned child, maybe that period of wrestling. You wonder how many times in jail or under persecution Paul had those questions. He certainly did with the thorn in the flesh. He pleaded with God three times for God to remove it. Maybe you have pleaded with God to remove some thorn in your life, and he hasn't. But through it is a message of my powers made perfect in your weakness. You're going to have to carry this thorn because it's going to be that which I use to make you more dependent on me and more useful in the kingdom. Jimmy, you want to take this one? Any others? Right here. just like to share, I really always appreciate your ministry. It's awesome, amazing. But I also want to say in my life, the greatest discovery of mankind is myself. And once you discover yourself, you know you have a need for God. You must know you have a need for God. And the greatest success story is to have a personal relationship with God. And I, I think sometimes the system of the world got influenced. But when your life is supported by the Word of God, you had the greatest pinnacle of success. And that's part of that. I think that what you, about knowing yourself is humility, knowing your limitations, knowing how much you need God. All right? Why is God letting Christian believers die with COVID? I thought he would protect them. Again, one of those mysterious questions we may never have the full answer to, but um, so, you know, there's not, a, there's not an easy answer to that. Um, Jesus said the, the rain will fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Death is the last enemy, but he overcame death in his death and resurrection. So we can have eternal life. How do you know if your question is something the Lord wants to give an answer to or if it's something we need to trust God for and surrender, not knowing. Well, I think, again, it, it's the Deuteronomy 29, 29, in that secret things belong to the Lord, the things revealed belong to man. So there's, no, there's nothing wrong with seeking God's answer for certain questions, and he may give it. He may give you a revelation through a dream, through a vision, through a prophetic word. He may give you a scripture that answers that question. He may speak through the counsel of a godly person. So, again... Press in and see if he reveals it, but if he doesn't, then be willing to file it. And all along, even in the pursuit of the answer, still make sure your chief focus is Jesus and getting your life and your joy and your purpose and your strength from him alone so that you don't wait for the resolution, you get Jesus even in the process of seeking. And so the answer to that, I think, is simply it's seeking for it, but if he doesn't reveal it, then be willing to lay it to rest. One more. Morning, Pastor Dave. Um, hey. I'm kind of curious about this. Now, I know that Jesus, when he was riding through there, the disciples said, well, what, what is it with all this? He said, well, if they weren't here praising, the rocks would cry out. How did all them folks know that Jesus was fixing to be coming through there? How to what? How did all them folks know that Jesus was fixing to be there? 
was there some kind of um, like a Jewish feast or celebration or something that week where they were assembled waiting for the Messiah and they actually realized he was Messiah? Or I, I don't know. I don't want to Google it because I'm, <laughs> you know, Google don't know everything, but God does. I, I just wondered how did they know Jesus was fixing to be coming through there? They had all their palm branches ready and had the coats and everything. And Let's talk about that afterwards because I want to kind of stay on this topic, if you don't mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just on the topic of the message, but um, it's, it's kind of complicated. So let's, let's right. talk privately. Um, but there was something going on where they, and it, and it was largely prophetic as well. It was fulfilling the prophecy in, in uh, Zechariah. What is your take on why long-suffering is one of the fruit of the Spirit? Mm. Because it takes the Holy Spirit to suffer long. I mean, that word is intense, long-suffering. I mean, it's an attribute of God. Think of how much God suffers long over all the sin of the world. All these things that we question why. It grieves God's heart how much people are hurting and how much they don't turn to Him. Far more than it could ever hurt our hearts. He suffers long in the same way that we are called to rejoice in God, get our joy from God, but also we are called to suffer. It is part, that's what we're going to learn in 1 Peter. Hope in suffering. It's a book about suffering. It's a book about hardship. Don't say when you have these trials, why is this strange thing happening to me? That's in 1 Peter. And so we suffer long only as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to suffer well and suffer long for God's glory. And when we do that, our testimony shines because the world could never have joy in suffering. They're getting their life from their circumstances. We're getting our life from Jesus so that the circumstances, even when not pleasant, doesn't ultimately take our joy and purpose because our purpose and joy is in Jesus. All right. As we conclude today, if ever there was room for the why question, it was when Jesus suffered and died. Why an innocent man who committed no sin would have to die and suffer and be flogged and beaten and crucified? Why such a horrendous death? If ever there was a situation causing the world to question why, it was Jesus suffering and death. And yet, thankfully now, we know, do we not, the answer to that question it was for you. It was for me. So that we could put our trust fully in this suffering Savior. Have you trusted in Him? Have you put your faith in Him? Have you received Him in your life? Are you born again? If not, receive Him today. He is your Creator. He loves you so much. He gave His life. He rose from the dead. And if you are a follower of Jesus, where are you struggling? What's God saying to you today? What do you need to file in the 2929 file? So at the bottom of your sermon notes today is a little place you can tear off or you can grab a piece of paper in the seat pocket in front of you. What do you need to put in the Deuteronomy 2929 file? And I'm literally going to invite you right now to begin to pray. 
and to write down a phrase or a sentence that describes something that you today need to bring to the Lord. Just tear that off. Come up here. Put it in there. Maybe spend some time in prayer. Prayer team, if you would come, begin to take your places. If you'd like to pray with somebody. So, Father, we thank you today for your word. God, I thank you for the depth of your word. It's so easy to read a passage like this and it just kind of go over our head. But when we really dive in and dive deep, your Holy Spirit begins to stir some stuff. And that's just your amazing way of working, God. We thank you and we exalt today the Word and the Spirit. Holy Spirit, just move now. I just believe your heart of compassion is going out for many today that are wrestling, struggling. Some of you watching online, maybe you need to write down that issue, that question, that struggle. Go put it in your trash can or talking to somebody this week about this sermon. They said, maybe we just need to burn it or bury it. Whatever it, whatever's meaningful for you, it's not the symbol, it's your heart. God, we praise you and we just invite you now to help us get some resolution today. And God, we thank you that you're our source. We thank you that you're faithful. We thank you that you're powerful. We thank you that you're able to meet every struggle we could ever face now and in the future. Because you're immutable. You never change. I just invite you now to just take some time with the Lord. The band's just going to play and give you time to do business with God. Stretch out if you need to. Go to a different spot in the room. Write down that item. Bring it to that filing cabinet.